0: Strange things are afoot at the Circle K. Hello, Sand Demon!
1: Welcome to my latest experiment. This is a big one, the one I've been waiting for all my life.
2: I just want to relax.
1: Nice,
0: lukewarm bath.
2: (laughs) I
1: don't know
0: how much longer I can hold this. Zeracana. Oh,
2: look. Carnage.
0: Dead. We're dead, dude. Well, what's fun
1: about that? Quite sweet, really, aren't we? God, I love this street. No. one. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. This is Claire with Bill Ashtaz. No.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Keep going.
1: Bill slash Billy slash Dad, Mom slash Mom slash Mom, and Claire. I'm not getting a death stare today, which I reply with a death stare. <laughs> Anyways, this is Bill and Claire's Excellent Adventures, if I did not already say that, and... And we are doing a series of um, Hashtag Universal Horror. And we are on episode two. And this is season two of our podcast, just to let you know. Because, as you can tell, the intro has changed. (sighs) And last time, if you were listening, you, you listened. I was about to say saw, but you listened to us talking about Frankenstein. And then this one is The Invisible Man. Overall, I thought it was kind of um, not that scary. These movies were probably not horror type. They're probably like kid horror. Oh. Some little <laughs> mini jump scares, uh-huh. but it doesn't show anything that's like bad i mean there is some parts where he says that he's naked because he's invisible but technically you don't see that and it doesn't ever have a have a hashtag over it because you never see him because <laughs> he's freaking invisible
0: <laughs> what did so did you enjoy the invisible man yes okay all right um Yeah, so I think all that's right. If you guys haven't listened to the Frankenstein episode, go back and listen to that. Um, We do
1: give a lot of spoilers, so watch the movie first if you don't want a spoiler. Now let's get back to the episode.
0: (laughs) Uh, So James Whale directed Frankenstein. Uh, The reason that we've picked The Invisible Man as the second movie in this series is because that was the next movie that James Whale directed. Uh, So the same guy that made Frankenstein is uh, the guy who directed The Invisible Man. Which uh, to me is kind of uh, interesting, you know. I know that the Invisible Man gets a lot of acclaim, but I I found honestly the movie to go a bit slow for my taste, um, and I didn't really have that problem with Frankenstein. I was engaged the entire time in Frankenstein. I really enjoyed watching that movie, and this one, I-, I don't know. It just didn't it didn't click for me. It could be that I was tired. Maybe it's just my own headspace. What did you guys think?
1: Mm, I thought honest when we were going over um my dad was like maybe you should try this because you were talking the whole time because you were obviously bored i was not bored
0: (laughs) good all right so but so you enjoyed the movie Yes. Yep. So, did you what What did you appreciate about it? Did you like the story? I like um, the
1: special effects. Yeah, okay. that was pretty cool because when we were going through, my mom asked, um, "How did they do the invisible man? The, the invisible part? Because when he shows his mouth, when he takes off the napkin after the woman person thingy goes away after giving the mustard, he takes it off and it looks invisible." And my and mom asked.
2: Yeah, I was not prepared for that. I really thought going into this I had not ever seen this version of the Invisible Man. I saw a remake that was done with Kevin Bacon like many, many <laughs> years later after the invention of the green screen. Hollow man. Um, oh yeah, yeah. That's what it was. You're right. You're right. Um, but um so I was fully expecting them to show him like before he um had the uh chemistry accident and then from then on to For the actors to just be pretending that he was there and there to be a voice, I was not prepared for them to show him um, with pieces missing and transparent. And I was totally amazed that they could do that in, what was this, 33?
0: Yeah, so 1933 is when the movie came out, uh, so they're probably working on it in thirty two. Um, But it's it's uh, kind of a neat way that they did it. Uh, So basically, for all the scenes where Claude Rains, uh, Jack Griffin is meant to be invisible, um, they would shoot Claude Rains dressed in a black velvet suit against a black background. And then they would shoot a shot um, for the scene in which he was supposed to be in. And then they would mat those two shots over uh, each other. So that's why when you see him, I think my suspicion is that's when you see him and he's partially invisible, he's not moving very much because they're um, cutting that frame out and then you know putting it over uh, a static shot that they're shooting for that. But that's how they did the effect with the jaw missing is they dressed him all in his bandages and they wrapped his face in black velvet. They shot him against a black background. Um, and then all of a sudden you can't see Uh, his face doesn't pick up on the camera. So, you know, today they do the same thing with a green screen and a computer goes in and it picks out all the green colors and it can take it all out. Um, But the way that they did it then was they exploited the weakness of the camera to discern between differing colors of blacks uh, to do a special effect kind of in camera. Claire, you have a comment face.
1: Special fact. Now what I was thinking... What I was thinking was that he when in the parts where he wasn't shown and all this stuff was happening other than the parts where like the doors were opening but where it was like where he was pushing the policemen off the side of the hill. I thought that maybe the policemen were pretending that they got pushed and the character you just he just recorded his voice for that and then the actor and the actor pretended to get pushed and, and pushed himself over the fence.
0: That's actually exactly correct. So when he's going on his murder spree and he's killing all those people and you see them tumbling over the fence, um, the actors are tumbling over the fence and they've dubbed in his voice recording exactly like you said. Um, For things like glasses moving around and chairs rocking and books levitating, um, they used wires uh, that you couldn't... And I think if you look really close, depending on some of the shots, you can see some of the wires moving things. But for the most part... The wires don't get picked up by the camera. And so then you just see uh, that, you know, they use a wire to pop open the window or they use a wire to move the chair or something like that.
2: Can I ask for a point of clarification? Because yeah. I am, you know, not really all that well informed on how special effects are done. When you say they, you know, filmed him in black velvet and then cut it. Do you mean someone actually took like the strip of film and cut out the black part and superimposed it over another no, shot, no,
0: or? I'm not. OK, so I'm not an expert uh, at all. I think what they do is they shoot a master shot of a room. So it'd be like in the room that we're sitting in, we'd set up the camera and we would just get a shot of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in the same depth of field that we would want for a person, um, we would go and we would put everything black, black cam, you know, whatever canvas around everything or whatever um and we put our actor in black and we know exactly where we want him to stand in the shot based on the master shot and the distance from lens that we want and then we would shoot that and then i think they layer that right over the master shot or maybe they they just maybe they literally clip out him from the frame and insert him into it I'm not 100% on how that works bosh <laughs>
1: special special fact um in in the movie Matilda they do the same thing because Matilda can lift and do things with her mind mm-hmm. and in the and if you have the DVD there's a special thing where they talk where each after each scene or before each scene they'll talk about how they filmed it so like for example at the end scene where the book flies over to Matilda mm-hmm. where she had been adopted by the teacher miss mm-hmm. honey the, the there was an uh, there was a um person on a skateboard that grabbed that grabbed it with the um, transparent fish hook, and they grabbed and they grabbed the book, and then he moved on the skateboard back and handed the book to Matilda or Miss Honey, hmm. and that's how they did it. So if you really, so if you want to check on that, you can just go. You can just get if you have the DVD, just go to the section of special effects mm. or something like that, special edition stuff, and um, it. And one of the things is movie stuff. And if you hit the scene, movie thingy with movie, it, it'll it play the movie from the beginning. And then every time it goes to a scene where there's a special effect, it'll tell you how.
2: So that's an interesting point that you're making, Claire, because I really hadn't considered it. As we were watching the film, I was thinking, man, this movie is really like step one to all of the green screen and digital editing and stuff that we use now in movies. But... Also, there's a whole lot of elements in horror films that have to do with things levitating or moving on their own. Anytime there's a ghost involved, or anytime somebody has telekinetic powers, which is when you can move things with your mind, um, you know, they would have to be able to do that. And I'm guessing, Dad, do you know that uh, James Whale is the first to make things levitate?
0: I don't know that he was the first to make things levitate. No, I don't think so. No? Um, yeah, I mean, because... I'm just shooting wildly from the hip here. but you know, a lot of the early movies, especially in silent films, were capturing the transition from uh, stage shows and magic shows. And mm-hmm. um, you know, film became sort of magic done on camera and misdirection and all that sort of stuff. And they could use the technology, of the camera to do tricks and mm-hmm. um, uh, and not not to say that magicians were filmmakers, but just to say that that spirit and approach and, kind of those tricks of the trade in terms of showmanship get brought over to camera work. So no, my guess is is that they've ripped that from old magic acts okay. and done it in a way that the camera can't pick up the work and they're just using those old techniques. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you think about... Um, the mediums, you know, the con artists who would have people over to a house for a, seance. for a seance and they would rig the wobbly tables and levitating chairs and cabinets that open and close. If you know those tricks, you can exploit them and do the same thing and just capture them on camera. So my, my, my guess is, is I, I doubt very much that he's the first filmmaker to use that technique. Mm-hmm. Um, But I'm, I would guess that he's got to be the first filmmaker to try, try and capture uh, an invisible person working on camera constantly. I mean, although, have there been haunted ha- ghost movies before? I suppose, uh, I'm not totally sure about that. I could see a ghost movie using the same techniques. Because what's the difference between a ghost and an invisible man when you're talking about special effects?
2: Yeah, there's not a huge difference, but I'm just thinking of the culture at the time. You sure. know, they're hesitant to show kissing. Um, there's no foul language. Even the murders in this movie are fairly tame, which this kind of goes back to what Claire was talking about, about it's not that scary. You know, like what we consider scary is very different than what like 1930s America considered scary. I would actually be surprised if they had movies about ghosts and hauntings and stuff like that.
0: My suspicion is that they would. Um, and some of you know these movies are pre-Hays Code, you know, where they start putting restrictions on what you can show on the screen. I don't know. I just uh, I don't know. I don't know the era well enough. Yet. The
2: the main reason I'm thinking that that it would not have happened is because I remember learning about um, was it the '50s I want to say, or possibly the '60s, when um, like horror films uh, were very controversial. And um people didn't didn't necessarily want their kids to go see them and stuff like that. And that was like the, you know, fifty foot woman and like they aren't particularly scary. I don't know. I
0: kinda guess that's always been sort of a thing.
2: Yeah, that could be. I guess I was thinking if you you know, the parents in the fifties would have been young in the thirties if they grew up watching ghost movies, well, they're not necessarily gonna be objecting to
0: I, You know, I don't know I don't know about all the history, but I I can definitely say that the way that they shot the murders in this movie uh, made it hard for us to tell, you know, at the beginning <laughs> he just chokes the constable out and I couldn't tell if he was meant to be dead or choked out. And neither yep. could Claire yep. uh, until we saw him alive later. And then when he kills the police chief, it's like, oh, did he just choke him out and bonk him in the head? Oh, no, no, no. Later, the voiceover clarifies he bashed his head in. Yeah. Um, but but that's not what you see. And so it, it made it really hard for me to tell at what point um, does Jack Griffin fully become. The murderer as opposed to just sort of mad. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then he goes on his killing spree and, and murders like twenty of the eleven thousand people they had searching for the invisible man. I don't know if you caught that, but they were like, We're gonna have eleven we're gonna have a thousand police officers and ten thousand volunteers combing the countryside.
2: What? I yeah, that was a lot. This is a bit of overkill. I do it was interesting, the um when he when he derails the train. That is the first time in the movie that I accepted that he was like behaving in a deranged fashion. Yeah. You know what I mean? And um, because there's no, there's no reason for him to derail that train. It doesn't play into his plans in mm. any way. It's not part of some kind of master plan. It has nothing to do with him evading the police, and he kills a whole bunch of people at one time. Uh, but prior to that, all of his murders had been so controlled. And I think that's because, you know, they're hesitant to show anything too violent on screen. Um, But I'm thinking of just like ways that people depict bashing someone's head in, even if they don't want it to be overly gory. You know, maybe you don't see the victim at all. You just see the attacker, but you see the bat or in this case, the stool or whatever it was, crashing down multiple times. Yeah. And they didn't do that. It was like thunk once and done.
0: Well, my guess is, that they were limited by the special effects because they had to hit him over the head with a levitating um Oh, yeah, a levitating bench. object, yeah. And so I think that they couldn't... My guess is that they tried to get them, like, the motion of the bashing, mm-hmm. and they couldn't do it more than once, so they just went for a drop. Mm-hmm. And they... Oh, he bashed his head in! This right. is a heavy chair. <laughs>
1: maybe it was just... A, maybe they're assuming, because they can't do that, they just make it a real heavy chair... Mm-hmm. Like one only a really strong man is because I think this is later in the movie he says that he's a very strong man. Yeah, he does. He does, does. He does he's say that very strong. Yeah. yeah. So maybe they're saying that because he's so strong, he can lift up a very heavy chair, and if something is in, and if it's the either right amount of um, bashing to someone's head, or if it's something particularly heavy. It could bash someone's head in, so maybe they're saying that they that bashing the head in was a real heavy chair, and that's how they bashed it in instead of trying to go like with a like a medium heavy chair mm-hmm. multiple
0: times. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. How how would you, Claire? So if you were shooting that scene, how would you solve that problem?
1: What I would do is I would pick is I would get like a. Um, I would get an actual person with, this is modern day, not back then. I would get an actual person to hit, to hit them pretendly. Like sometimes people make it look so, make it look so much like they're clapping, but they really stop like an inch before they clap so that they don't make the noise. So maybe they would do that with the chair and just hit multiple times. And then you would edit the person out of the scene. So it would look like an actual just levitating stool Mm -hmm. hitting them.
2: That's good. I think I would have gone for a crowd reaction instead of trying to show the actual, you know, let him show him hit him once and then show the crowd like, Ugh, uh, uh, you know, with some sound um as though he's being hit multiple times. But um,
1: But they're not there. They all run out the door and then the soldier Oh, that's the guy a good point. Is trying no, you're right. to
2: go.
0: You're right. They did. But they could still have um a person looking in the window or something like that. Yeah. You could shoot a shot so that you see the um Maybe so that you see the, the, the bench come up and down and you don't see what it's hitting and you don't see the person holding it. You just see it going up and down. And then in the background of the shot, you have the horrified person's face going, oh, you know, so, so that like your brain fills in what they're looking at because you see the, the notice. Um, and that was I think that was my big problem, though, with the movie overall was that like I. I I did not like the oh he dropped the thing on his head and his brains were bashed in like that bugged me and I felt like you know what we saw in Frankenstein in terms of what he did there um, with some of the violence and I mean some of the like really big budget on set stuff where they set the windmill on fire um, I was expecting a little bit more um, oomph in kind of some of these moments. I
2: also think that Frankenstein had a smaller number of big moments. Yeah. And this movie, the whole thing is special effects just about because, yeah. so, you know, you got to pick, right? You're yeah. going to have a lot of small ones or you're going to have a few big ones. Um, And they, they had a flaming car go off a cliff.
0: Oh, that's true. They had
2: a train derailment. I mean, I don't know what the budget is for this film, but I'm sure that it was spent every penny of it.
0: What yeah. do you think, Claire?
1: For the part about the bashing the head, mm-hmm. you could put the shadows on the wall, as they could have shadow the shot classic. Yeah, shadow, and they could put the shadow on the wall with the horrified per- with the horrified people in the window in the side of it, like you can see it, but it doesn't really but it looks like they're watching the the actual thing, and you see the shadow of the person hitting the head mm-hmm. and then dropping it and running, mm-hmm. but you but you edit out the shadow of the act of the. Well, do you think an invisible man would have a shadow?
0: I don't know. Shadow. Because what's a shadow?
1: Well, a shadow is the is the light reflecting off of a person. Oh, there probably isn't going to be shadow. So you would edit out. I don't know though because they
2: said that you can see him in fog. Yeah. You can see him in snow. Yeah. So it's solid, or the snow would not be sticking to something.
0: I I agree. I, I
2: think that I think he would have a shadow.
0: I know. I disagree totally. Yeah. Because. The shadow isn't the reflection of the light. The shadow is the obstruction of light. Right. So light passes through him fine now. Um, but you could see a silhouette from fog moving the air around him because it's not casting a shadow. It's displacing f- something physical, mm-hmm. which is why you can see his footprints. It's why you can see him um, with dampness collecting mm-hmm. on him because you'll see droplets hanging in oh. the air or glistening sheen.
2: Man, let me tell you, the bashing... Was your, you didn't like that? Yeah. I did not care for the footprints because they were shoe prints.
0: Yeah. And yeah. he's
2: supposed to be naked.
0: Yeah. That's, that's in, um, in the, uh, I think that's even on like the Wikipedia page of like, uh, you like when you see him do the, the, um, the scene that he's barefoot. But they, I think they, he had to be in shoes for that. Not because he was walking in snow, um, in and of because you could make snow out of anything, not ice. Um, but because they had to wrap his feet in velvet uh, so that he wouldn't show up in the shot when they were shooting it. Um, and so he had to be wearing some kind of shoe or something like that, or else they couldn't remove his foot from mm. it.
2: Yeah. OK, that makes sense. Uh,
0: but so one thing that I want to go back to is, so Claire, this kind of slipped us by for a little bit. But you said that you were watching um, the the special features on the Matilda uh, mm-hmm. DVD. Do you do that just for Matilda, or or have you been doing that on the DVDs and Blu-rays that you've been watching on your own?
1: I do that with they have it. I look. I like um the um cheaper by the dozen. I looked, and I don't think they had that.
0: Mm-hmm. Not all of them have um special features or making of or how they did special effect shots and stuff like that, but some do.
1: Inside Out had it. They showed um the effects. They showed some of it.
0: And do you like what made you want to look at those?
1: Mm-hmm. Because um, sometimes when I'm watching the movie, I'm like, "Wow, how did they do that?" And it's like so amazing that you think that it's act- that it was an actual invisible man. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I just like to look at the special effects to see how they made that happen.
0: I I have the same feeling a lot of times. Um, there's a movie called uh, Oblivion about a guy and a gal who are the only humans on earth, supposedly after some big cataclysmic event, right And they live in a sky apartment that's attached to kind of a spire that comes off the ground. So think of like a like a sky rise, like a big uh, skyscraper building. only it's just a kind of a pole holding up an apartment up and up very high in the air. And I'm watching this movie. And they show the shots out the window and it's just gorgeous sky and clouds and it's so consistent and it looks so perfect. And I thought, oh my gosh, how did they do that? Why I put on the special features at the end and what they did was they built the apartment in a studio and they put like we have a projector screen in our room. Mm -hmm. They wrap projector screens around the entire apartment and then they went to the top of a mountain and they shot. Um, hours of 360 degree footage all the way around the mountain and they captured it. And then they projected onto the screens in the studio, all of the footage that they captured and shot it uh, onto the screen. So while they're shooting cameras um, to film the scenes uh, that the actors are doing, that stuff is actually happening. They look out their window and they see those projector screens of those images Um, Which I thought was a really cool way to solve a tough visual effects problem of like, how are you constantly going to do this? And how do you make your actors feel like they're actually in a sky apartment as opposed to uh, like a fake room surrounded by green wallpaper? And I like I find those like like those approaches to how do they solve those problems to be really, really interesting. I love special, um, special features on DVDs. I just was surprised that you had gone to look at them on your own without anybody saying that they were there. You just explored and were like, "Oh, this is cool."
1: And one of the, I know, this is, this never happens in the movie, but what was pretty cool about Matilda is that the scene where the where the wait where one of the guys hits the end of the table and the thing goes flying. And perfectly falls in Matilda's plate with a fork in it, mm-hmm. while the other guy gets a marshmallow cake thing splattered all in his face when it lands on his plate with no fork at all. Mm-hmm. And um, how they did that is they actually—I um, don't—I think that they act—they actually did. It was a catapult, and they—and they had to do. They actually, actually, they w- it was actually catapulted. Mm-hmm. There was no like fish line or anything. Mm-hmm. They had to do mul. They did multiple times of trying to get the the thing into the plate perfectly.
0: Hmm. Sounds challenging. Yeah, filmmaking is not easy. Um, all right. So we talked a lot about special effects. We talked about DVD commentary. We talked a little bit about Claude Rains' performance as the Invisible Man. Um, so what did you think about the story? A, a man who is driven to become recognized as a great scientist, goes down a path of experimenting on himself and goes mad as a result of the process. What do you think about that? I
1: thought that that was meh. Yeah? I've seen kind of stuff like that, but, I mean, they could have... I mean, if it wasn't back then and they wanted children to see it, Mm -hmm. I would have put more... I would actually have put the blood from the Bashan... Or at least put blood stains on the carpet where they pick the guy up. Because no one would think that this, his head was bashed in if there was no blood. Or at least blood stains. Because <laughs> if someone's head is bashed in or their brains is squashed, of course there's going to be blood. Yeah. Unless if somehow you pulled the brains out and then decapitated, it, are probably... No, not decapitate Bash in, there probably wouldn't be any blood.
0: I'm pretty sure if you brat, well, no, even if you pull out the brains, uh, there's still going to be blood because there's brains are not just blood. Um, but, I, you know, not too many movies have blood everywhere. And, and I don't think that's that's really a big thing in the universal horror ones. Although, although, I don't know, maybe I'm missing something that doesn't come to mind. I don't think blood was a big thing in those.
2: No, very little. Occasionally, um, a trickle. That's one of the uh, sort of classic gunshot scenes. Or images, I should say, from a lot of these older films, is is they'll show gunshots that just have a trickle of blood coming out of it, yeah. which is hilarious because there's no such thing as a bullet wound that trickles.
1: Unless if there's a shirt, then would then it would only show like a trickle, and then the rest of it would be. Unless if it was a white t shirt, then it would show the whole thing. Mm-hmm.
0: So the story was just meh. Huh?
1: Yeah, the story was fine, but the um. But the overall showing of it was meh. <laughs> but I thought for sure that he was going to kill his girlfriend. Yeah, I, I did thought too. for sure. Her... Totally did too.
0: What, well, I'm curious. Why, what makes you think for sure?
1: Because Because he's, ma- he's a mad scientist. He's crazy. And if he didn't want his girlfriend or wife to come over, then why would he want to just keep her if he's probably never going to be able to find the antidote anyways? Why not just kill her? Yeah, if I, was I mean a crazy that. Crazy mad scientist man, I would definitely kill my girlfriend. <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's the best line from this episode. We might as well just stop now because it's not getting better than that.
0: Well, I mean, there was some weird stuff with her character. Like, I wish that I wish that there was more of her character um, in the movie because, like, at the beginning of the movie, um, you know, Jack Griffin has disappeared. And then what's the other dude's name? Kemp or something mm, like that? Kemp. Yeah, yeah. so I Kemp. It was Kempt. Um, maybe. Um, but so Kemp goes up to her and she's like, "I miss him so much. I'm so sad he's gone." And he's like, "Yeah, I mean, that sucks that he's gone, but maybe we could go on a date." And she's like, "What is the matter with you?" And like that never kind of comes back into it again. Um, but she's like totally faithful to him. And I don't know. Like, I guess as part of um, uh, Jack Griffin's character, like he loves her the entire time. And in fact, there are multiple points in the movie where the mention of her and interaction with her, like calms the insanity that's going on in the background of his brain. Um, but I don't know. Daniel, you're just kind of shaking I, your head.
2: I, I mm, mm. yeah, I did not like this movie. Why? Um, There are only two female characters in the entire film. Yep. One of them is a hysterical lunatic that is portrayed as just <laughs>
0: this. Which one?
2: Yeah, right. Exactly. I mean,
0: literally. Which one the, are you talking I'm about? I'm talking about the, the innkeeper's innkeeper? wife. Yeah. yeah,
2: You can't even understand what she's saying. Yeah, that was... I asked
1: multiple times. Yeah, what did yeah. she what?
2: say? What did she say? What did she say? She is. A caricature of a human
0: being. Sure, and hysterical is definitely the right one. Yeah,
2: and they show her. The, you guys were right when she hops on the table screaming, and and one of y'all said she's it's not a mouse. Like, yeah, yeah, like he said
0: that. I said that. No, he oh. said
2: that. Yeah, it wasn't me. Um, and then uh, when they all run out of the room, then they you know, pause for a few seconds to show her running around in a circle, like an idiot. Like <laughs> I was like, this is not yeah. funny. What? And it was clearly meant to be funny. Um, yeah. Did not like that character. And then Flora is just a flaming idiot. Yeah. I mean, she's, you know, Oh, Jack. Like, I have to go to Jack. I have to go to Jack because I'm not a human. If I don't have a man, like, I just... That's a human. A human is what it is. <laughs> not a pumen. A human. That's a um, smelly human. Yeah. <laughs> what?
0: A pumen is
2: a it's smelly human. It's a dad human. joke. He made dad a dad jokes, joke.
1: Sir. Well, he did make a... He did make a terrible dad joke that he... St- Joel from his own dad. Yeah, like, so, are you kidding me? Oh, hey, hey, so I on, you getting when, ahead of when, I,
0: when I told my dad that we were going to watch The Invisible Man, because he called right before we started the movie, I uh, said, so, oh, we're going to watch The Invisible Man for the podcast, so i got to let you go. And he said, oh, well, you know, there's a bunch of nudity in that. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> and he said, well, yeah, because The Invisible Man can't wear clothes. And I was like, oh, uh, you got me. You got me. Hook, line, and sinker. Anyways. So, anyways. So,
2: um. Yeah, I thought that that was pretty terrible. Um. I, there is no. There is nothing redeeming in this movie if you don't have testosterone in your system. Mm. Like,
0: I. I think for the innkeeper, her character bothers me less overall because um, the members of the police force and all of the towns folks were all played for comedic relief, and she fit as a starring role in that. Um. So it. I think it works okay for me there. But the girlfriend character literally just is like, oh, no, Jack is
2: gone. Jack yeah. is here. Yeah. No, it's it's completely ridiculous. And I also do not agree that Jack loves her. He doesn't love her at all. He covets her. He wants to possess sure. her. And he wants to own her.
0: Right. That's he how not. people no. loved in
2: nope. 1933. Nope. nope. False. <laughs> <laughs> nope. <laughs> Incorrect. Um. And yeah, so I had a huge problem with just first of all the straight up lack of female characters. Every mm-hmm. mob scene that they showed, every crowd scene that they it showed was, all men. was entirely men. So I don't true. know where this village is. This you've seen villages where there's one woman living with a bunch of men? Yeah, it's called the Smurfs. Yeah, so there's no there's no such thing as a village where there's one woman.
1: Oh, I meant, I meant about the mobs. There's going to be no women in the mobs because women are too important. They have to make all to the babies. They can't, they can't die in the mobs. Yeah,
2: I know that's why they did that. And that's what, a huge part of my problem with it. But historically, if you're talking about actual mobs, there are definitely women in them. Like, uh, think of the French Revolution. The people and the crowd surrounding the guillotine was 50% women. They were just as bloodthirsty as the men. Like, even Beauty and the Beast shows women in the crowd scene. And frankly, in James Whale's Frankenstein, there were women in the crowd scenes. Now, Mm -hmm. they didn't join the men in the mob to go after Frankenstein, but they were still in the village, like, demanding justice for the Mm -hmm. drowned girl and stuff. And then James Whale goes on to make this movie where he decided that there couldn't be any women on set, apparently.
1: I don't know if you noticed but the but the where but right before the um, policeman gets choked to passing out there's a woman and he said no children no children and the woman the woman goes out so there's a, so there's technically three women if you count one that you don't see a lot and oh, okay. there were also some in the dancing scene there were they barely show any men in the dancing scene they were mostly just women dancing with silhouettes of men
0: all right so Danielle hated the movie Claire thought it was okay. I thought the the special effects, the visual effects, right. and all of the Jack Griffin stuff was good. But overall, I just didn't connect with the movie. It did not hold my interest. Um, so I think so far, Frankenstein was a big hit for everybody. We all really enjoyed that. Um, the Invisible Man, no. kind of a miss.
2: Yeah, I think it was a miss. I did... I... Um... What's his name, the guy that plays The Invisible Man? Claude Rains. Thank you. Claude Rains has a great monologue in this movie. Yeah. Um where he's telling Flora mm-hmm. why he did this and and why he wants to do it and what he wants to accomplish with it. Um and that monologue is probably one of the best examples I've ever seen for the literary theme of absolute power corrupts absolutely. Sure. Um because he basically describes his train of thought going from you know, I wanted to see if I could do this into I have all this power and now I'm drunk with it, you
0: know. Well, it's great because he pivots even in the middle of the conversation where he's telling her, I'm gonna fix myself and I'm gonna sell it for money and we'll be rich and we can go do whatever we want to they're gonna want it because it's so powerful and I'm gonna keep it and all the rulers of the world are gonna bow to me and I'm gonna be the rule of the world. Like the the mounting insanity, I, I like Claude Raiden's performance in the movie. It was the yeah. the rest of it I felt like the kind of uh, the, the, the the place in which he was operating um, just sort of let me down.
2: I agree. The other thing is I really didn't like the whole thing about how the chemical makes you mad. Like they didn't need that. Mm-hmm. That monologue explained to me 100% how a, you know, ambitious scientist turns into a mass murderer. Like... He gets this power, he's drunk with it and he's experimenting and it, you know, escalates and all that kind of thing. And I felt like making it be like, oh, he's mad. Like, um, I don't know. I didn't think it was a particularly sensitive. I I just I try really hard to remember that this is 1933 and they don't have the same sensibilities that we do. But, you know, I think it's. um...
0: No, they did it just fine in Frankenstein. I mean in Frankenstein um he's corrupted by his desire for scientific sper- experimentation and to play god and he yeah. goes uh totally
1: uh insane. Uh
0: yeah, I I think he's totally mad with power in that. Um I think it's interesting that they give Jack Griffin the outlet of uh the the drug does it. I I think because this way he's Jack Griffin isn't a guy who has to pass as normal like Frankenstein did. Jack Griffin is a guy who's just a chemist. He's an average chemist with a hobby, and he's got a girlfriend and a steady job, and there's nothing strange about him other than the fact that he really likes this hobby. And then all of a sudden the hobby takes off and corrupts him. And I think it's a better story if he doesn't have the madness aspect to the drug, but I'm I don't I think it's an easy way to explain why he has all these stable things in his life. And has suddenly become unstable and no way to deal with it, um, because Frankenstein doesn't go on a killing spree, right. um, You know, he he doesn't go totally insane like um, Jack Griffin kills hundreds of people mm-hmm. in the course of that. And so I think there's got to be some explanation given to, like, literally why does he kill so many people?
2: Yeah, and I I think part of what I'm taking issue with is just the attitude towards mental illness at the time. But the idea that someone could have a chemical that's impacting their brain chemistry that just suddenly turns them into a mass murderer, so we should lock them up or kill them, and you know, like I have an issue issues with that. But I, I think probably more so because it kind of mirrors how poorly uh, patients in asylums and stuff were treated in that time period.
0: I, I guess, sure, yeah. Claire, All right? Claire, you had a thought.
1: So honestly. I feel like you really you could have that mad could have that mad thing in there if he was totally like nice like and and then turning into a crazy mass killer murderer spree kind of person it would fit if the if people and animals were really nice and turned into crazy mass killers it would
0: fit I think what they should have done is uh, sacrificed one of the murderous depictions, like when he's killing all the volunteers and tumbling them over the hill. Those shots aren't that great anyways, and they could have announced that in a radio broadcast in the background of a scene, and they should have spent five minutes at the beginning of the movie where you get a chance to meet Jack Griffin before he's um, uh, botched up his uh, experimenting on himself, uh, so that we know one way or the other whether or not it was the drugs. I mean... We don't know. They don't... I mean, they just... They give that as an out. But since you don't see him beforehand, and the acts that he describes for the pursuit of the knowledge don't really seem to match up with the type of person they think him to be prior to that, uh, I mean, I'm not convinced one way or the other that that's anything there. It's it's just as easily them trying to explain how somebody in their own midst uh, could turn into a serial killer without them knowing, um, you know, oh, it, it made a dog go crazy. Well, the dog went crazy because it can't see its freaking eyelids anymore. And so it didn't sleep for 10 days. And then it went nuts. Who knows if that's what the problem that this dude is having. I mean, he can put on a sleep mask, you know, mm-hmm. um, like who who knows? That could just be their own rationalization for that.
2: Yeah, yeah. I think that's a good point. I guess my my lar- larger issue here is that they wrote this really great monologue that really tells me that they were trying to make commentary on the idea that power and wealth corrupt. Sure. And then they totally undermine their entire point by being like, but in this case it was drugs. All
0: right. Well, I think that's probably enough conversation for the invisible man, unless anybody else has anything left to say. Nope. All right. So, uh, check out last week's episode for Frankenstein. Uh, I think we all really dug that one a lot and there's a lot of great story work in there. Um, the invisible man based on HG Wells novel, um, And uh, this one just, I don't know, it just didn't click for me. But up next week, um, we'll have James Whale again, um, but this time with Bride of Frankenstein. So it'll be a return to the Frankenstein universe. And we'll get a chance to see those characters grow and change a little bit. So I'll be be curious how we all respond to that one. Uh, But so far, 50-50, Universal Horror, 50-50, I would say. Um, let's see, if you don't already follow the podcast, you can find, uh, Bill and Claire's excellent adventure on Twitter at B A C E A podcast. Um, wherever you, uh, follow us, uh, or listen, please, uh, subscribe and give us a rating, especially if you're on iTunes, listening through Apple podcasts. Um, if you give us a five-star rating, that's exactly the help that listeners like you can provide as we look to expand our audience. And speaking of iTunes reviews, we actually got a review that I thought I would read out from uh, Melonhead. It's a five-star review. Subject line, love. All in capital letters. Uh, I love hearing Claire's take on movies. It gives me hope for the future of cinema. Parenting win. Uh, So, yeah, it's a pretty solid review. I'll take that.
2: Thank you, Melonhead. (laughs) Can I read another one?
0: Uh, The other one is from me, where I left a review to get things started. Like you put uh, a little bit of change in your hat when you're busking Uh, on the side uh, of the street. William, (laughs) you just embarrassed us. And uh, the other other one is Brad. All right. Uh, So uh, we've covered where you can follow the podcast, like and subscribe. We talked about what we're going to do next week. Uh, And I think that's it. So until next time.
1: Goodbye, peeps we